Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into today's program. We're delighted to have your company again. My wife and myself have decided to take a little bit of rest and relaxation and come to a, a, an area in Asia where they do some health therapies and treatments. And I was delighted to meet a person here that works with some students in this facility, Daniel Gomez. Daniel, it's great to, uh, to meet you, and I'm looking forward to hearing your, your story today. But what do you do here at this facility? At this facility, it's a, it's a blessing. Um, in reality, it's a miracle. It's a training school. We train uh, young missionaries uh, in two aspects, the medical aspect and also the Bible or the teacher aspect where we teach our students how to heal the body with natural remedies. And at the same time, we teach them how to appeal to the spirituality. And so it's a two-facet training school. Right. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. Now, uh, I, I pick up that your accent is not a local accent. It sounds like you come from further afield. So perhaps we can uh, just start there. We're going to come back to how you ended up here. But perhaps we can just go back to where you were born and your family environment and so on. So that's right. I was, uh, I'm originally... Uh, from Mexico. I was born in Mexico City. Wow. When I was about two years old, my family traveled to the United States and I was raised there all the way till I was 28, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Mm-hmm. So being uh, born in Mexico, were your family religious? Because there's a lot of uh, religious people in Mexico from what I understand, a lot of Catholic influences. Yes. My father is actually from a native place. He's a, he's a native mm-hmm. and he's Mexican. His father is also native, his mother as well. And they're out in a rural place out in the mountains. And okay. my dad used to be a Catholic. Um, when he converted to uh, Seventh-day Adventist, they had persecution. Where, uh, the Catholics in the town would come and persecute the people. Uh, my grandfather that just uh, was deceased, he, he used to persecute other Christians. He was converted. And when he was converted, the town would persecute him. Right. He ended up going to the little towns surrounding the mountain, spreading uh, the gospel there. And my dad ended up catching that. My, my grandfather at a young age told him, if you want to be uh, a Christian, you should know why. He says, study your Bible. And my dad became an Adventist. Wow, that's an incredible story. So your dad went from a persecutor to being persecuted. Uh, my grandfather. Grandfather. My grandfather from a persecutor to being persecuted. And he would, my dad was curious about certain things. And my, my grandfather would, there would just quote to him the, the reference of the Bible. And my father would look it up as a young child. And then uh, he decided to take his spiritual, his own walk, his own walk as a, right. as a Christian. Wow. Okay, fascinating. So you were brought up in a Christian family, some of the Venice family? So to say that, uh, my mother, uh, she comes from a small town. And my grandmother got married with a non-Adventist. And so the grandmother was a matriarch. And Mm. so she would not allow any of her grandchildren to go to church. 
uh, it was forbidden. And so my mother grew up with Catholic traditions or culture, yes. but with Adventist um, teaching. And so a lot of her practices were, were Catholic or non-religious, mm. and some of her beliefs were Adventist. So that's how my parents ended up together. Okay. We moved to the U.S., and my parents ended up getting a divorce. And so I grew up in a semi-Adventist environment. I was um, at home, no religion, mm. because my mom wasn't much of a practicer. Okay. But my dad, um, on the weekends, he would pick us up to go to church. And so the religion that I got was one or two hours uh, a week. Right. And so when you say we, you had your other siblings? Uh, my sister, myself, and my father. Right. Okay. That's the right. three of you would go to church. Okay. So those influences, uh, the one or two hours a week, were positive? Did you take to religious uh, practice? Uh, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Because at home, we've never prayed. We never talk about Jesus. There was no religion uh, in our house. Uh, the only time that God came in was maybe through a cu curse word. And okay. so it was not at all. My father, he would, he would tell us that he would pray for us. Mm. He would say, God loves you. Um, but because we weren't living with him, that influence was not very strong. I understand. Okay. And then uh, when you started your school years of that, did you go to a, a Christian school or was it a secular school? So I started school at a very young age, maybe three years old. That's very young. young. Yes, so because um, we were immigrants to the United States, my mother and my father had to work. And so they placed me in a daycare, mm. but they lied about my age so that they can work and so that they can provide. Wow. And so I started at a very young age going to a daycare where they would teach me. But uh, during my daycare years, it's where my problems started. Um, and so many people tend to blame it. You know, when your mother and your father get divorced, it really affects the child. I truly believe that. I'm not negating that. Mm. But um, at least from my experience, I think that I made a, a, a decision at a very young age to follow the route that I wanted to follow. And I remember, and my mom remembers this, she, she would tell me, it's not your father or my fault because you were a troubled child since you were young. We had a psychologist come to the house because the daycare thought, uh, saw that there was something that was not right. Mm. In other words, um, I was rebellious. I, I was going always against the flow. Okay. I wasn't following directions. And then my parents got a divorce. And so I do believe that divorces do have a great impact on the children, on their emotional well-being. Mm. Uh, but what I do want to say that I don't think that was the case for me because I was already misbehaving and taking my own route when I was young. Okay, right. Interesting. So, but you're going to this school now, it was uh, daycare, and you're three years old. What was the typical age for people to start daycare? Around four or five years old. Okay, so, so you're... So you, one year. So you're considerably smaller than the other kids, and I mean, that's quite a big difference. Right, and I only spoke Spanish. Okay, and it's, I guess the dominant language would have been English. Only English, that's right. And so... It was a little tough. I remember I would cry when my mom would leave. Mm. Um, it, was, it was a little bit tough. I don't think it was very, uh, very hard on me emotionally. But, but I think that it did help shape me to the person that I was because I was younger. Maybe I didn't feel like I fit in very well, spoke Spanish. Uh, I felt like I had to do things to fit in. Um, so I think that might, might have some of the influence. But my uncle, he was a, 
He was a big influence in my in my life. Where I remember my first gift, my first gift from him were boxing gloves. And oh. so at a very young age, he would put on the boxing gloves, three fingers, and he would hit me in the head and he said, "Fight, fight." He'd tell me you're not you're not gay for you not to learn how to fight. And so that influence really impacted me. And I thought that to be a man would be to fight. And so my mom would often get called from the daycare. And she would be told that they're scared for your child. Um, we're scared for your child. And she would say, why? He says, most children, when they get into some type of disagreement or fight, are the children their age or their height. Your son stands up on the tables and wants a fight with the older kids. <laughs> and so, okay. so uh, that was the beginning of me causing trouble to my parents. Hmm. Um, I ended up getting... Uh, I don't want to say expelled from the daycare. It wasn't expelled, but it was more of a, they told my mom, we can only handle your child for three hours a day. So around five years old, mm. uh, I, only, I had a curfew. My mom would drop me off at seven, had to pick me up at 12, take me to work with her. Wow. And so later on, my parents got divorced. And I was saying that I made a decision at a very young age because I remember getting in trouble when I was five years old. I went to kindergarten now. And I did something. I don't remember what it was, but I know it was really serious because they took me, several teachers, they said, we're going to get you expelled. And I said, what do I do? My parents had just got divorced and the thought came to me. If I just say, it's because I miss my dad, my mom and my dad just got divorced, I can probably get out of this. Mm. I said that and lo and behold, the teacher said, poor kid. And now it makes sense. He's a trouble kid because he's hurting. Hmm. And his parents are getting divorced. And so they said, you know what? Let's just let him go. I, I left hmm. and I went to the bathroom and I was jumping up and down saying, I can't believe it worked. Is that right? And so I remember at a very young age making uh, decisions like that, that I want to be the, the bad guy. In other words, I remember watching like Superman or Batman and thinking, you know, people love you know the superhero i like the villain i wanted the villain to win and i that's what mm. i would admire so i don't know i don't know where that came from it might have been from my uncle might have been just personal choices that i made but i, I do want to say that my mom it wasn't like my mom was a wicked woman my mom is what i would call an average american woman that had morals so she was more like a moralist yes. though she wasn't practicing the adventist faith yes um she if you were to ask her she would say seventh-day adventist but she was a moralist in other words, when, uh, for example, we get home, there's a, a schedule for eating, a schedule for what time we should go to bed. Our shoes should always be together under our bed. My mom tried her very best to raise us up as good children. Mm. So I cannot blame that. I know that there are many people that have been affected by divorces, that have been affected by abuse, by, uh, you know, pedophilia. But that wasn't my case. Right. I remember right. at a very young age making a conscious decision that I wanted to be a wicked person. Um, to be honest, I don't know where that where that came from or what the origin of that was. Because mm, that would be a question I would ask you, but it'd be hard to put your finger on it. Except that we're all born with fallen human nature, and right. sometimes expresses itself very differently in some. People. Right, and my dad is a very gentle person, a very kind man, um, very patient and loving. And so my dad was seeking through love to win me over. Uh, my mom was more the disciplinary. But whether they show me love or whether they discipline me very hard, like spanking mm. or taking things away, um, it just seemed like I wouldn't budge. And so I really don't know. I can't put my finger on it besides maybe my uncle, the influence of 
of telling me fighting is, you know, that's what a real man is to be. Or, But even then, um, I don't know where I, how I got to that point of deciding at a young age, I want to be a wicked person. Right. So you train quite hard in the, uh, the, the discipline of boxing to become quite good at it? So yeah, you later, on in life, okay. later on in life, um, I guess because of that influence, I, I took an interest to martial arts. And so I began to do boxing. Mm. Um, so I guess I'll... I'll I'll share a little bit about my, my school experience. Sure. I, I was grew up in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. I went to a public school. When I went to the public school, I was expelled. Um, I was asked to leave several of the schools. My mom would change me. I went counting maybe 15 different schools from elementary to middle school. Um, the last middle school said, that's it. We've had it. Um, you are going to be on a probationary period. You're going to only be able to come to school up to 12 o'clock. If you get caught on school campus, you're going to get a citation. Most people get a tight citation for not being in school. So the school said it's called, I remember the name, it's called Our Opportunity Room. It's for trouble kids. Mm. I ended up getting kicked out of Opportunity Room. I got kicked out of all of the schools at LA County, and I was sent to a school, and it was called County School, Los Angeles County School. Our professors and our teachers were uh, policemen, were probation officers, uh, people that knew how to deal with gang members and stuff like that. And on our application, a regular application says name, sex, age, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Ours says, what's your gang member name? Uh, what is your favorite drug? Right. What is your, you know, what is your nickname? What, what kind of graffiti do you do? Very, you know, it really shocked me when I went there. Because were you a gang member at the start? I wasn't. I wasn't. But the environment that I was growing up, uh, it, it was heavily influenced by that, mm. by the, the gang mentality, the drug selling. And so uh, a little bit of boxing, you know, gives you a little bit of pride. Sure. Uh, growing up with those people, uh, I got into drugs. Maybe the first time I tried drugs, when I was 12 years old. I was, mm. you know, smoking marijuana. Um, that was probably the first time I've tried it. And it was, it was 12 or 11 years old, I remember. Very young. Very, very young. Mm. Um, I would sneak out of my house to go out and play in the streets. And so with all that being said, it really, um, it really influenced me. In other words, it encouraged me to continue the path that I had made, the decision that I had made when I was a young man to just follow a wicked life. Mm. Uh, my dream was to, if I ever was going to go to jail, was to be chased and not go down easy. I don't know where I got that from. Mm. And I was going to be in jail and make sure that I had uh, good authority in jail. That's that's I, I wanted to go to jail, but if I went to jail, I wanted to make sure that I went in there. How do I say? Not without a fight. Right. And so, um, you know, as the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Mm. So around that age, around 11 or 12, um, I ended up getting uh, into trouble. I stole a, a gun because I was planning on using it down the street was some of my, uh, I guess you would call rivals or enemies. And um, so there was always a lot of fighting. Um, in particular, I've been chased by helicopter when I was around 12 or 13 years old. Um, we, were, uh, we were on the streets. I was about to fight with some guy. There was two big groups that came together. A policeman came, and there was a helicopter. And I remember that I was running away, and somehow we managed to lose the helicopter. Mm. Three of us, we, we ran into a house. Uh, we ran into the back house, but there was a lot of trees covering it. When I ran into the back, 
My friend and I changed our shirts. We came in with different shirts. The police pulled up to the house and we ran out like we lived at the house and we said, what's going on, officer? Is everything okay? Mm. And they say, stay inside the house. There's, there's some criminals around here. And so him and I, we were laughing. And I'll tell you why I, I say this in the future. But at that moment, I thought, man, I must be the best criminal out here. I am so smart. I am so wise. I am so slick. I'm so sneaky. Not even the police or a helicopter can catch me. I said, how many people have actually gotten away from a helicopter? And so mm. this really built up my pride yeah. as a person on the streets because I would, you know, I would, I would show that off to my friends. Like, you know, I did this and I got away and I did this. Mm. And so my so mom, your identity was wrapped up in this and you found a lot of pride in, I guess, in, in that sense of achievement. For right. But was there ever any time at that age where it dawned on you that there could be an alternative to that lifestyle? At that moment, no. Okay. I, I loved my life. I thought, like, this is a great life. Oh, it's, okay, I, it's you, enjoyed, you enjoyed your life. I thought it was exciting. I remember that there's one point in my life when I was in county school. Mm. Um, it actually got really bad where my, my rivals or my enemies were no longer people my age. But I started getting uh, into trouble with people that were... So I was like 13 mm. or 14, and these people were 20, 25, 26. I was fighting grown men. Um, but it got to the point where I couldn't walk out of my house because there was always people waiting for me in front of my house. They would, they would be without shame. They would just wait there mm. um, to see when I would come out. So it was getting very hard, and I think that that pressure uh, told me I, I need a change. Uh, there needs to be a change because I'm not... I'm not safe. Mm. My mom seeing that ended up moving to the outskirts of Los Angeles or the LA County to a different, uh, a different city. It's uh, Azusa. It's about maybe 25 minutes away from there okay. to start all over. And so she says, I don't want you to go to high school in uh, Pasadena. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it's a very bad place for you. You've made rivals all over. There's nowhere where you can walk. I come home and there's always people standing outside waiting for you. Um, so my mom bought a house. And we ended up moving out there. Hmm. And, you know, uh, the bad part about that is that I took myself with me. And so this is a small town. I mean, compared to Los Angeles or Pasadena. And as I started in school, I, I ran into other people that were from gangs there. And, you know, me thinking myself, I'm a very, I'm a very good criminal, a very good fighter, whatever it may be. I ended up fighting with those gang members. And... I, I didn't think that I needed a gang. I felt like I, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody oh, okay. to protect me. So I would fight with two, three, four, five guys at one time. Mm. And I would feel, you know, very competent. So, um, again, I got, I got suspended from that school. And so in that county, I ended up going to four schools, four different schools wow. of getting kicked out. Um, my last charge there was for battery on a police officer. Um, mm. I was accused of hitting a police officer. And so that was a little bit more serious. I got, uh, I was put on supervision. And it was during this time where I began to pick up more heavily into drugs, into selling drugs and, and I guess using drugs. And at that time, I think it was where I began to go lower and sinking lower, um, speaking morally. I was always a hard worker, so I always had money. In other words, okay. my uncle had a construction company. So although there's some things that were sort of like appear to be out of control, there were still some elements of quite discipline within your life, like work ethic and so forth. Right. So work ethic was always a must for me. Yeah. 
Um, my parents taught me that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you must work. You can't be lazy. And one of the things since I, I used to like a certain type of clothes, my mom said, I'm not going to allow I'm not going to buy that clothes for you. So she said, if you want to buy that clothes, you're going to have to go ahead and buy it yourself. Mm-hmm. If uh, I'm going to buy you what I want and you're going to wear it or mm-hmm. else you can buy your own clothes. And so at a very young age, I, I took that almost as a, as a challenge. And so I began to work and buy my own clothes. Well, with money comes, you know, a little bit of freedom. And so I was able to get a hold of drugs mm-hmm. and different things. And so during my high school year is where I began to sink lower and lower, morally speaking. Right. But yes, always uh, trying to be a hard worker. So did you have a, a small circle of friends? Or were you more of a loner? Uh, because, I mean, you're obviously taking on some of these gangs. You pick on one person and obviously now you've got the whole gang against you. Did you have any people as a backup at all, friends-wise? Or? I did, in the sense where I made a lot of friends, so I wouldn't hang out with just one group of people. Okay. I was always a loner in the sense where I didn't belong to any one specific group. Right. But I, I was a, a likable person. I was a maybe not likable person, I should say, I was popular in school hmm. just because I had money and so I can dress a certain way. People knew that I sell drugs. People knew that I can fight. So I was always uh, invited or going to parties, you know. Right. Um, so I was popular and, and I, I didn't have a problem. When I tell someone, hey, help me out, they would help me out. And so hmm. there was times where when there was a fight, other people would help me out. Right. Um, not to negate that. But but yeah, that, that was a... Uh, I never felt like I needed a gang because I guess I had friends. Hmm. Um, but I had offers to join gangs because they thought that it would be, I guess, a worthy uh, asset to their gang sure. or something like that. Um, yeah. During that time, when I got accused of um, battery or got charged for battery on a police officer, I got, uh, once again, expelled from certain schools, so I had to work. And there I met a young man. Uh, and I want to tell you, just, just to interject here, um, but during that time, when I was selling drugs... One of the things that I remember, uh, just to emphasize again what I said about the helicopter, I had gotten a fight, so I got kicked out of this school twice, and I tried to go again. I really liked it. I got kicked out, and I went to a different school. I met a young man there. I got in a fight with him, and I guess he, he thought I was going to stay at that school, so he moved to the school that I had got kicked out of. After, you know, you show that you have good grades, you can come back. So I came back, and that guy was there. He was scared that I was there because he thought I would pick on him. I was selling drugs, so he reported me to, to the police there on campus, and also to the principal. So they called me, uh, but when they called me from class, they came looking for me, I was in the restroom. I didn't like being in class, so I would always ask at every period, can I use the restroom? And I would just wander around. Mm. I wasn't there. When I went to class, they said, Daniel, they're looking for you. Who? And they told me, you know, uh, Mr. Miranda, that's the, that's the principal. I said, no problem. And I knew, I had a suspicion, it might be have to do something with drugs. When the principal calls you and it's never for, to tell you how good you've been doing, it's sure. probably something bad that you're doing. Right. So um, I said, do I take my stuff or do I leave it? He said, I think you can leave it. So I took the drugs that I had in my backpack and I put them in my pocket. At that time, there was two men, uh, the principal and the police officer, and they said, legally, we cannot pad you down. We don't have a warrant, so we're going to ask you to pull out your pockets and to pat down yourself, we got a rumor, anonymous rumor, that you've been selling drugs. And I said, what are you talking about? And my heart started just pounding really hard. And I used to wear really big pants, you know, below my, my waist level. Mm. And so big shirts. And so I began to put my hands into my pocket. And as I put my hands into my pocket, wouldn't you know that the phone began to ring? It was just silent, and both the police officer and the principal looked at the, at the phone. And so he answered it, and as soon as they did that, I pulled the drugs out of my 
out of my pocket, my pants pocket, and I stuffed them into my my underwear or to my pocket to my boxers. Yes. And so um, they finished the phone call. They put it down, and then they said, "Okay, where were we? Go ahead, finish." So I look. I don't have anything. I pulled out my pockets. I patted myself down. I said, "There's nothing here." He said, "You guys need to stop following rumors." I told him I got in a fight with him before, and this guy just—he's accusing me of stuff. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Mm. So they said, "Okay, Daniel, you're free to go." So how do you think that made me feel? Right, it's like Superman. So, once again, I am the sneakiest. I am the best criminal. No one will ever catch me. I am so good. Yeah. I am, and so it just c- continued to. To fan you, the flame. Because you're getting away with... I'm getting away with things that yeah. most people don't get away with. So you've got superpowers almost. Uh, you know, it's almost <laughs> like, uh, like I just know what's going to happen before it happens. Sure. But, it, but uh, I want to come back to that uh, in a little bit. Okay. So um, I ended up finally getting kicked out permanently from the school after my last charge. So I, I met this guy since I have no school to go to. My mom's looking in front of the school for me to go to. I ended up going to this... Um, what was it? It was a. It, it was pretty much in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, a place where you work. And as we're working there, I met a guy, and he has the same type of lifestyle as me. Mm. And he, we begin to talk, and talk, and talk, and we begin to influence each other. And he asked me, "Would you like to join my gang?" And I said, "No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay." Um, and he said, "Look, man, I'll give you my gun, and I'll give you a bulletproof vest." And he said, "I'm so far from you. How would you ever protect me?" He said, my gun will protect you. My bulletproof vest will protect you. Join my gang. He says, I'll even let you borrow it. So these are, I can see, the reason why I want to tell you this, how did I get this job? I tell you that I was, this was the part, this was the aspect of my life where it was going downhill. Mm. It's probably the worst time of my life. Yeah. And the way I got this job was I was extremely high one day, extremely high. And I blamed it on God. I said, God, you know why you do this? I just said, I don't know what prompted me to say it. Maybe because I was high. Hmm. I said, God, you know why I'm like this? You know why I'm always getting high? It's because you don't give me a job. I like to work and I can't do nothing else. So I have to sell drugs. I like making money. But I, I try to get a job. No one offered me a job. I'm too young. Hmm. So this is the reason why I do drugs and I sell drugs. If you would give me a job, I would stop doing this. And right as I said that, the phone rang. Hmm. And when the phone rang, it said, Get ready tomorrow. I'm picking you up. I found a job for you. Wow. And you know, that, that almost sobered me up. So how often had you prayed? Because, I mean, that's a type of prayer, isn't it, really? How often In a you sense, it was more that? of an accusation, like it's okay. your fault. That's why so I'm it's like, not really yeah. a prayer. I mean, I'm, I guess talking to God, it was in, in a, a prayer sense of a prayer. sorts. Yeah. yeah, some type of prayer. Um, so that's, that's, that's probably the prayer that God answered. Okay. Look, we're just going to go to a break, but I'm fascinated to hear the rest of your story, Daniel. So, let's, uh, dear listeners, stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this short break. He desires all to be saved. You're listening to the angelic sound of Carly Fletcher, just an average Australian woman who has chosen to use her musical talents to uplift her Lord and King, Jesus Christ. You matter to Him. You are His precious child. Won't you realize that you really matter to him? Carly's debut album, Follow the Lamb, features gentle acoustic guitar, piano and voice, rich in harmonies and accompanied by various instruments. It's gonna be worth it in the end. 
to purchase a copy of Follow the Lamb with all proceeds going to 3ABN Australia, contact us on 02-4973-3456 today. We will follow, follow the Lamb. And now let's return to By the Word of Their Testimony with Etienne McClintock. In the studio here on location, we have a special guest, Daniel Gomez. And Daniel, just before the break, you were telling us that you were high one day and uh, at that time you were selling drugs. And then you were saying, almost accusing God, said, listen, God, I wouldn't be doing this if I had a decent job. Mm -hmm. And the next minute, there's a phone call and you get offered a job. Right. Um, My my dad ends up calling me and what I hear says, get ready. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tomorrow I'll pick you up at four. I got you a job. Wow. And it almost sobered me up. I'm like, what do you mean? And so I said, what did you say? And he said, I got you a job. Uh, there's a company next door from my company, and they would, they want, they're looking for someone. And I asked them if they would take my son, and they said yes. That's where I met that young man that I told you that offered me the the gun. Right. And he offered me the vest. He had, a, I remember, a revolver. He said, I use a revolver because when I shoot someone, I want to make sure that the shells cannot be traced from the police. They stay in the barrel. So he was teaching me a lot of these things, drugs that he was doing. He was telling me about them, the crimes that he does. So it just continued to uh, fan the flames. Mm. What scared me there is that he said, so you got kicked out of school? And I said, yeah. He said, so you're planning to go back to high school? I said, yeah. He said, that's what I said. And I never went back. Mm. And so that was an impression. But since I wanted to be a criminal... Um, this was very appealing, the, the, the way that his lifestyle. And, you know, he had tattoos all over the place. No one could tell him anything. He was always with a gun. Uh, he was very tough. He had killed people, sell drugs, done a lot of crimes, you know? Okay. He was only 19 years old. Uh, 19? 19 years old. Uh, but by his face, when you look at his face, you would think he would be in his, in his 25s, 30s. Mm. And so when he told me, that's what I said too. In other words... That's what I said when I got kicked out of school, that I would come back. It made me think. What left a bigger impression upon me, because he knew my dad was a religious man, my dad had, living his lifestyle, he was a testimony. Mm. Uh, he was only the next, he was working at the next, at the next company, so they would see him. He said, hey, do you know about the Bible? And I said, yeah. He said, can I tell you something? We became good friends. But man, he kind of said it regrettingly. He said, ah. Every time I tell this to people, they just make fun of me. And I said, no, I'm not going to make fun of you. He said, at night, I cannot sleep with the lights off. I tell my girlfriend, don't turn off the lights. And I said, what are you talking about? He says, he said, I, I feel this presence. and I'm so scared, man. I don't know what to do. Uh, I just feel like it's after me. Mm. And so, you know, with this little spiritual background that I have, you know, going to church uh, on the weekends. Yes. Um, I think, well, maybe it's a demon, hmm. you know, and he just says, uh, he said, so what do you do? He said, uh, my, my, my girlfriend thinks I'm, I'm silly because I'm supposed to be this hardcore criminal and I'm terrified of the dark. Hmm. And he said, I don't know what to do. I am just extremely scared and I feel that presence. So I sleep with the lights on. The only thing that helps me, it's when I go to mass, confess my sins and I have peace. Mm. And so I thought, I want to be a criminal. I want to be this very, this man that has power, dominion over people. This man that, you know, that submits to no one. But yet this man is so, so weak. 
Mm. He's a criminal. He's a hardcore criminal. He's 19. He's made his career uh, of, uh, of crime very, you know, very, how do I say, he's notorious. He's known for wickedness. Yeah. And yet he's so weak. So that left an impression upon me. Mm. And so I ended up going back to school. My mom found one more school. This is, I, I go to school. I'm about to graduate school. I have, I'm a junior. So my senior year, and then I graduated off to college. So I, I kind of calmed down a little bit after that. That kind of left me. Do I really want that lifestyle? That guy makes, he works so hard, doesn't make much money. He still drinks. He still does drugs. And he's terrified. What kind of criminal is that? So I, it made me think a little bit. And I said, you know what? Maybe I should start studying. And so I would try to do my homework. In reality, I would cheat, you know, to try to. Now I would actually try to do good, get yeah. good grades. And so during this time, it was a little bit a kind of almost like a transition in, in my mind. Mm. But still, I long to have that power to be someone that cannot be controlled. Sure. So this guy, was he in a sense a little bit of a, almost like a role model because he sort of arrived where you wanted to be slightly before yeah, you did? I think a little bit, yeah. And, and that, that bubble got burst when you realized that this guy was actually not as strong as you thought because he had to sleep with the light on. Exactly. Yeah, so that was... So that made you take a, a second... A second look. Look you know? at, yeah, at that lifestyle and where you were heading. Right. And you know, those type of things, I don't know why, they only last for a certain amount of time. Okay. Not too long. Mm. Uh, so I thought, you know what... Um, maybe, maybe I should change, but I wasn't so sure. But I thought just in case I'll, I'll, I'll study or do something, you know, I'll try, I try a little bit harder. Well, um, since I had gotten expelled from the previous school, I had to go visit, uh, they would call it, what, what is it? Anger management classes. The, mm. the, the court sends you to different places uh, to make the long story short, I got kicked out of the first one. And so I had to go to a different counselor. We had to big, big money for that. Um, I ended up getting, I don't know why, piercings and doing, just continue going down. I think the impression began to leave me. Second thing that left uh, an impression upon me, I told that guy that I was a Christian because I had told that guy that I do not do drugs anymore because I, now I have a job. And I kind of shared my testimony that I told God, I'm here and doing this thing because you do not provide a job for me. I told him that and he was just so surprised, like, wow. But I ended up doing drugs with him. Mm. I ended up, you know, giving a very bad testimony. I wasn't, I wasn't converted in any way. Mm. But it was just an accusation that I said to God. God answered that and showed me, no, it's your life that because you want to be. I ended up talking to him about, you know, that part, that aspect of my spirituality, you know, supposedly. Yeah. And I ended up doing drugs with him. So during that time, um, I woke up one day in cold sweat. I, I was just, what is this? I knew the interpretation of this dream. I was running through a cemetery. This little girl, dressed in black, a white face, and she was saying, run. She was pulling me. She was pulling me by the hand. Run, run, run. I said, why? He's angry at you. I said, who's angry? And she was pointing to heaven. It was God. And there was lightning falling. And when I looked up, a big tree fell on me. The next thing I know in my dream... I wake up in an upside-down cross. Now, in the satanic world, an upside-down cross means Christ has been defeated. I didn't need any prophet, any person to tell me what that meant. Mm. That, when I got up, I woke up in the cemetery in an upside-down upside cross, I ended up realizing it meant God has been defeated in that young man's life because of you. God is at you. That wow. left an impression upon me. Mm. And that was when I was already going back to school. So... It shocked me. And so 
this was the time where I began to think, I, I, I better rethink what I'm doing. That slowly left, that impression left me again. Mm. Another time I was, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, no more drugs. I'm done with drugs. No more. That's it. So, several things had happened where I got in trouble, beat up friends, you know, got into fights, uh, really dumb things. And I said, I have to stop drugs. So I said, that's it. Today I change. No more drugs. I mean, I don't want to, I still want to be a criminal. I just don't want to do drugs anymore. Mm. So what age are you now around this time? This time, maybe around 16 or 17, oh, 16. Still, still yeah, still yeah. And I, I remember waking up and I even said a prayer. I said, God, I'm changing today. Mm. I'm changing today. Um, that's it. I don't want to do drugs. I went to school. Before I went to school, I remember, I wanted my mom to iron my shirt. I was getting ready. I walked into her room. When I walked into her room, she, she just gasped. She said, oh! and she began to just, you know, let me have, don't you ever walk into my room like that? And, and I just closed the door. I said, you know, I don't need this. I said, whatever. I can iron my own clothes. And I was already upset. She was driving me home. She said, can I tell you why I talked to you like that? She said, yeah, I told her. I don't want to hear it. She said, let me tell you, please. I said, okay, go ahead. She said, I dreamed that you were a baby. And I knew that you weren't the baby. And I said, okay, mom, I have to go to school. I got out the car and went. So remember, I just had made a resolution. No more drugs. I'm done. My life is changing mm. from here on on. That's it. Well, it was, I remember it was like nine o'clock at night. I had come back and in my pocket, I probably had the largest dose of drugs that I had done in a while. Mm. I was so high. I don't remember any time that I was probably more, maybe one other time that I can remember that I, I've been drugged more than that time. Wow. And I came home, and my mom says, can I talk to you? I said, Mom, I'm busy. I had the drugs in my pocket. I said, I have to go away. I, you know, I was thinking, I have to go away out my drugs. So I had a scale on one side and, uh, of my pocket, and then on the other side of my pants, the other pocket, I had drugs. Hmm. And I said, Mom, you already told me that you had a dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I get it. It's all right. I forgive you. I just wanted to, you know, just hmm. get out of that situation. And so she said, no, please, let me tell you. I said, okay, Mom, go ahead. And she said, I dreamt that you were a baby. We were in the living room. But I, your sisters, your siblings were older than you. So I knew that it wasn't. I picked you up. And I said, this is almost like a trap. And so I threw the baby on the couch. And I ran down to the room. And it's, it's if I can see what was in the room. You were there dress, dressed very nicely in luxury. My room had drapes, beautiful drapes. The carpet was velvet. Everything was just in luxury. But you were a slave. She says, you couldn't get out of my room. It's like you were a slave pacing back and forth. And it was Satan who had you there. And so I ran downstairs. I opened the room and I said, Satan, leave my family alone. And when I opened the door to free you, it's when you walked in. And that's why I was so scared. And mm. I, I began to scream at you. She wow. said, I don't know what you're doing. She says, but I just felt like Satan has you trapped. So, so this is your mom who is a moralist, but not very religious per se. Not very religious at all. And she has this dream. Right. I believe that, that God was talking to my family. Mm. At that moment, how do you think that made me feel? I was just shocked. Again, I felt like I sobered up. Mm. So I said, Mom, I have to go. No longer to weigh the drugs. I said, I am the slave of no one. So I got the drugs and said, I'll show Satan. I went to the highway and I threw the drugs over. And I kid you not, I kid you not, a gust of wind came and blew it back in my face. 
wow. And that really shocked me. Mm. So I was picking up the drugs off the ground. I picked them up again and I threw them again. I said, no, Satan, I'm no one's slave. So I threw it over. I wasn't on God's side, but I, I said, I'm no way, I'm not going to be the slave of Satan. Right. And so I said, I'm going to do what I want. So I said, no more drugs. But again, I began to do drugs. Not so long after that, my sister began to, to have dreams that I was possessed, that they would tie me up to the table with chains and no one could hold me back. My dad told me, son, I had a very bad dream about you. You and your sister got in a fight and I told you to ask forgiveness. You said, bring her here, dad. I'll, I'll, I'll tell her to come here. I'm gonna give her a kiss on the cheek and, I, and you would bite her cheek off. She says, you were demon possessed. So several of my family members were having dreams of me being demon possessed. Mm. And you know, the, the dream that I told you about the young man, that Christ had been defeated in his life because of me. Yeah. Later on, looking back at it, I began to laugh. I thought it was funny. I thought it was like, that's funny. You know, this guy, he'll never get to know Christ. Mm. That The last dream that I had that I was close with Satan, it was me and Satan having a dialogue. And I was asking him, why is it? Because, because I had heard that the state of the dead, what happens when you die, would be the last trick that Satan would be, the last lie that he would use prominently during the end times to, to win a lot of people over to his side. Mm. And so I said, Satan, I don't really care. I don't, I'm lost anyway. I told him, I'm lost. I know I'm lost. But why would you want to use the state of the dead? How would that help? Or what's so good about what happens when you die? Why, why do you want to trick people like that? And in my dream, you know, Satan wasn't ugly. He was just a regular man. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those romantic movies where the sun is setting and then two couples are walking down the beach as yeah. the sun sets. Uh -huh. Well, Satan and I were doing that. He oh. put his hand around me, around my shoulder, and he said, come, I'll talk to you. I'll let you know. And in my dream, that's what I saw as we walked into the distance. And then I woke up. And I woke up laughing. Mm. I thought, that's so funny. Yeah. Me and Satan are a couple. I thought, that was so funny, you know? Wow. And so I began to have more experiences like this where at night you would hear dogs running inside of the house. Well, the interesting thing about that is that we never had, we didn't have any dogs, especially mm. not inside of the house. So were you the only one hearing or other people hearing? No, I heard it when you I was by it. myself. Okay. My sister would feel her hoodie or her, her, her hat being pulled off of her, uh, people moving oh, the bed. So supernatural stuff happening. Supernatural stuff happening. Right. Um, but I, for some reason, I don't know, I wasn't scared. I, I was watching TV, I remember one day, and I said, I want you to have a seat. This is a really good program. There was no one home. You said that to someone? I always said that, yeah. Hmm. I don't know who it was. I, I was just talk like I just felt a present that was always there. And so I didn't realize it until later on that, that I was interacting with demons, or I, maybe I did. I, I just didn't consciously think about it. I didn't realize it. Sure. But um, you felt comfortable enough? I didn't feel scared. Yeah, because your friends, your, your buddies now with, with the devil. I, I guess I, I don't know what that meant, but I guess <laughs> yeah. now when I look back at it, I, that's what I think. Mm. And so I guess to make the long story short, my mom has sped up. No more. Um, I ended up getting in a fight out in that last school that she put me in. Um, my mom says, I've been dealing with you since you were young. She says, you have no excuse. What have we done? None of us do drugs. None of us drink. None of us go clubbing. None of us do this. Why have you done this? Why do you do this? I mean, what do you want? Like, we've tried. We put you in Adventist school. Mm. I forgot to tell you that I was in Adventist schools. I got kicked out of two Adventist schools. Oh, okay. So... She says, nothing works. She says, I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you to leave. So around 17 or 18, 17, okay. I was, my, my mom asked me to leave the house. I moved in with my dad. And like I said, my dad is more of the guy that he reads. 
he's at home. Mm. He's organized. He's very soft spoken. So read us read the Bible and books, books Bible, books, newspaper. Yeah. yeah, you know, just that type of guy that sits mm. back and just maybe opens a books and read. And so he said, "Yeah, son, you can move in with me." I move in with him, and within the first two weeks, um, I, I committed a crime or I, I did something that was not good, and the SWAT team was chasing me. The SWAT team is like the military police. Mm. They blocked off my street. There's people looking for me. I ran. I hid in the apartment. I turned off the lights, and I said, hey, let's just pretend like we're sleeping. My dad said, what's going on? He's never experienced anything like this. Right. And so he's just extremely shocked, like, Tanya, what did you do? And I said, nothing. And I said, just, just turn off the lights, nothing. Just turn off the light. And my sister was there. She says, Dad, the police is chasing him. My sister knew. This was, so your dad was not aware of your... He was, but he just wasn't used to... Okay. My, he was never experienced. And my mom would tell him, like, here and there, hmm. your son's doing this. You know, he would take me to court. But never, never been caught up in, in this type of scene. Sure. So I asked my dad. You know, my dad is just, Dad, can you go check what's going on? Uh, my mom would be willing to turn me in. She wanted me to learn a lesson. She didn't know how. She said, maybe if he goes to jail, maybe if, if they give him a ticket, maybe if they, he'll learn his lesson. So I was used to my mom turning me in. She, my mom called the police on me. I had graffiti on this board. And so I said, if my dad's going to turn me in, because that's all I knew, my mom. My dad's going to turn me, that's it, I'm going to go to jail. And I saw my dad, he got that board, and he flipped it around so that you could not see the graffiti. It just was a blank board on the other side. And then my dad went outside to move the park from the front of the apartments to the back. And told me, son, there's gangsters looking for you with sticks, and there's a SWAT team on the other side. And it left an impression upon me, because my dad spoke to me. He was there to protect me, not to turn me in. Mm. And that left an impression upon me, like, why would he do that? Yeah. I'm guilty. And so that, left, that was a, a, another big impression in my life. Mm. The, uh, well, to make the long story short, my dad said, son, I came late one night. Son, since you moved in with me, I have not been able to sleep one night. He said, I've been so tired. I stay up praying. I don't know where you're at. You know, you, I don't know what you're doing. You just come back late night, early in the morning. I don't know what you're doing. Every time the police is chasing you, someone's chasing you, you get in a fight. He says, but last night I put you in the hands of the Lord. Last night was the first night that I had sleep. Mm. So different than what I had experienced with my mom, you know? Yeah. My mom had been very compassionate. The first time she saw me drunk, she was extremely sad. She's never, we, she's never seen that from any of her children. And so she was crying and, and she, you know, she was feeding me and stuff like that. But later on, when I kept on getting drunk, she would, she would scream, she would get mad, so mm. on and so forth. So this was a very different aspect of my life. That still, it didn't cause me to change. I had slowed down my life a little bit because yeah. I, I didn't want to continue that route. I thought maybe I would want to get an education. So the last thing that happened, I said, no more drugs. That's it. I, I remember crying out to God, I don't want to do drugs anymore. This was after your experience with your father right. protecting you. Yeah, because I was doing drugs at that time. And I said, right. but I no longer, I said, that's it, no more. I said, I'm done. And I said, God, help me, I can't. And I was free. I thought it was amazing. I mean, mm. I'm not a religious person. I yeah. said, I'm done. And I didn't do drugs anymore. But you said, God, help me. I it said, God, God, help me. Yeah, pretty much. God, help me. And so the last thing that happened with my dad, 
my, my I said no more drugs. So I'm not doing drugs at this time. I have a friend, a good friend, this guy that would help me, you know, when I would get into trouble fighting with people, then he would help me. And when he would get in trouble, you know, just mm. like that, we were good friends. But he ended up moving out of the state. He, he came down driving one day and he said, I want to invite you to a party. It's going to be a very good party. I said, no, because I'm not drinking. I'm not smoking. I said, I won't do anything. And I said, no, he said, come. Are you, I can't believe it. You're not going to come. I said, I can't come. Come. I told my dad, dad, I'm going out. He said, don't go. You're going to get in a fight. I said, I'm not. And I knew because I'm not going to get drunk and I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, he mm. says, no, it's not. Okay. I ended up going to the party. The impression that was left upon me there was probably one of the biggest turning points. Mm. It's me. It's my friends. You know, I get there and all of my friends, all the people that are in, in the vice or in this, in this type of lifestyle are there. Free drugs, unlimited alcohol, beautiful women, a big mansion. There's a party. I've never been to a party like this. Oh. But I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I, I purposed that I was not going to do any drugs. I didn't do it. I was really happy for myself. Mm. Well, doing there, because everybody was so drunk and high, people began to beat up other people. I counted with my finger, 15 guys. And they beat up halfway, like almost to death, this man. Left him on the street, just bloody. And I said, that'll never happen to me. You know what happened right after I said that? Mm. These guys turned on me. Wow. And they began to come after me. They were just drunk. They were drunk people. Oh, drunk, okay. And, and you know, I, I, I felt very confident. And mm. so I began to fight. And I said, there's no problem. I'm not worried because my friend is here. And the only thing I heard, I'm getting kicked. I'm getting punched. I'm getting jumped on. You know, I'm getting up and I'm fighting. And I would consider myself back then to be a good fighter. Yes. So there's 15 guys. And I said, you know, I think I can do this. But my friend's here. So I'm really happy. I said, it's okay. Hmm. And all I hear, someone say, they, they, they called me my, my street name. They said, isn't that your friend so-and-so? And I know, I don't know how it happened. I would say it was a miracle. The only thing that I heard was, I don't know him. Wow. I don't know him. Mm. And the next thing I know, I'm fighting somehow by, you know, I guess at that moment I thought because I was a good fighter. Mm. I got up, I, I you know, I, I, I injured some guy really bad. And so people left me alone. And so, you know, I was really proud. And I'm looking for my friend. I call him on my phone, and he had left. And I told mm. him, come back. You brought me here. So he picked me up. The impression that left me is like, you can't trust anybody. I have no friends. Mm. No friends whatsoever. So now I'm feeling kind of alone. I ended up moving out of my dad's house. I'm not doing drugs. I'm sober. I'm going to college. I'm seeing, you know, this lifestyle. I don't have friends. You know, I... I I don't want to do drugs. I'm reaching every goal that I want. I'm, I'm, I'm working during the night. I'm going to school during the day. And as I'm going to school during the day, I, you know, I'm tired. And all I'm doing is exercising. So I'm, I'm very muscular during this time. And I began to get this impression. Is this it? You know, learning how to fight, getting money, having, you know, respect and power. Every goal that I've set for myself, I've reached. Is that it? Mm. Is there anything else to life? And you're still at 17, 18 around at this time? this time, I'm now, I'm around 20, 21. Okay. Right. So I'm just, I'm getting fed up about, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just thinking about these things. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, hmm. so what's going to happen? I'm going to try a new drug or I'm going to get a, a new girlfriend or I'm going to get a, you know, more money. I'm going to hit a new goal with uh, bench pressing or, you know, lifting weights. Right. I already know how it feels. It's not going to last forever. Some, it's kind of like a downtime in my life. Mm. It's, I'm not depressed, but I'm just thinking, man, life sucks. Mm. There's nothing to it. Yeah. 
And I remember having a girl one day in my apartment. And she was a gangster, by the way. She had a gun. She huh. had tattoos on her face. And, and so she wasn't a good person, so to speak. Mm. She pulled out a book. And I asked her, what are you reading? And I pulled out my vacuum, about to, about to vacuum my, my apartment. And she said, oh, it's the devotional. My mom gave it to me. She wants me to read it. And I said, oh, okay. Why don't you read it out loud? I told her, my dad told me about it. I want to know a little bit about it. And I remember the verse that she read. You know, devotionals have one verse and then the rest. Yes. So I plug in the, the, the vacuum. I'm about to turn it on. And all I hear is these two verses. It's Paul and Mark. What does a profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses soul? And at that very moment, I heard a voice in my head. Uh, and I know that it might sound kind of strange, but like I said, I was not on drugs. I, I haven't been doing drugs. Mm. I'm sober. Mm. And it says, Daniel, I've done everything that I can to save you. I've done everything, you know, in your life. And you just show me all the things that he's done for me. You're not doing this because of ignorance. There's nothing else that I can do. And it's today your probation closes. Wow. You completely decide for Satan or for me, but there's no more. I've given you so much. Mm. You know enough to know what's right and wrong. Today your probation closes. And I know it was a message of judgment, but it was also a message of love. Mm. Because it's more like, what else can I do to save you, Daniel? I've done everything. There's nothing else that I can do. You know, no one gave me Bible studies. Uh, no one came and visit, visit me, tell me about Jesus. It was God himself who appealed to me. And since that day, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. Wow. I went to my room. I prayed. And that day, I began to have devotionals. Mm. Though the mouth that I had, I, I, I didn't curse. I didn't say any more bad words. Mm. I wasn't tempted to do drugs. I, I wasn't uh, fighting on the streets. God was appealing to me, and I accepted that appeal. God was helping me. God, is, God spoke to me, and to me, it was just beautiful. It was the life-changing experience that I needed at that moment. Wow. So it was that verse that you heard, her reading out of that devotional, that left that impression. But obviously, you had had a few experiences, probably about three or four now leading up to this that you sort of mentioned to us. There might have been more, but that all these now came together, and you were convinced that God was trying his best to save you. Looking back in your life, could you see anything in regards to God intervening and protecting you and saving you? Yes. Dear listener, don't go away. We're just going to share our contact details with you, and then we'll just wrap it up with two minutes after that. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Let's join Etienne McClintock in the studio as he continues by the word of their testimony. On location, I have Daniel Gomez, who's been sharing his incredible testimony, how God stepped into his life directly. Not so much someone knocking on his door, but really God knocking on the door of your heart. And you were just talking about how you gave your life to the Lord and then started your devotionals. But perhaps just in the last minute or two that we have, maybe you can just wrap up the story and 
and tell us what what's happened subsequent to that. So, uh, as I was saying before, I think I mentioned that I've been chased by a helicopter. I, I didn't uh, mention that, but I've been chased by a helicopter twice. Mm. Um, so I've been in, in several police chases. I've been shot at several times. I've been uh, searched for drugs and not been found. Uh, several things like that. Yes. And where I got out, I, I just, by the skin of the t- my teeth, I, like they mm. say, I, I escaped. And when I was in the world, I, I thought, you know, it's because of my wisdom. It's because of how smart and how fast and how quick I think. And But during that time, as I look back, I now know that it's because God intervened. Mm. And it's when that he made that appeal. Though it was a, 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 an appeal of, of judgment, it was also an appeal of love. Because he showed me, I put you in, in Adventist schools. I've given you a spiritual father. I've given you a mother that's a moralist. I've done so much for you. What else can I do? There's mm. nothing else. And so it really touched me because the verse that really struck to me later on was, you know, that God, while we were yet enemies, God sent his son to die for us. Mm. I understood that because my enemies were out to kill me. But God as my enemy was out to heal me. And so that was the, the, the thing that really made me make that decision, that, that really drove me to make that decision to follow God and to serve. It just broke my heart. Mm. I'd never seen that type of enemy in my life. Yeah, no, look, thank you for sharing your testimony. It's a, such a powerful testimony. Dear listener, we don't know uh, what your experience is in life, whether you are walking with the Lord, whether you're not, whether you're uh, in, in a lifestyle that has uh, very similar to what Daniel has shared about himself. But we just pray that uh, you would also question those things in your life. What does it mean? Where do you end up? You know, you have a God that pursues you almost relentlessly. Quite often we're not even aware of it, but as you reflect back in your life, as you were saying, you, you, you notice that. And you quoted there from uh, Romans chapter 5, where in a few verses says that God died for his enemies. It says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he, he also died for his enemies in verse mm-hmm. 10, it says there. So do you listen, if you, as you're listening out there, we just pray that God will continue to work in your life wherever you may find yourself at this time. We pray that you were blessed by Daniel's testimony and that God will continue to lead you until that day that Jesus Christ comes to claim us as his own. Is my prayer. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.